We've been talking about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and we're going to finish that tonight. And we'll title the message tonight, Seeking Miracles or Persuaded by the Word. So let's read again. We'll pick up in Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. It says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass when the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, Well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. It's a warning. Chapter 16 is basically a warning. You can't get around it. That's what it is. And warnings are not necessarily, we said, a bad thing, are they? A lot of times there's a lot of love and warnings to warn people from danger that's ahead. And he's warning us in this chapter not to set our affections on the world, and in particular, money. This whole chapter is really dealing with money. And in contrast, he's saying we need to have our affections sent on God and his word. That's the last thing he says in this chapter. And this chapter begins with the parable about the steward of a rich man who was accused of wasting all of his master's wealth, or a part of it, whatever portion he was in charge of, and he was called to give an account. And so this man realized then that his day of reckoning was coming. And so what did he do? He started thinking about this situation, and he started analyzing the situation. And look at verse 3. It says there that he said within himself. So he's thinking, and he says, what shall I do? He's thinking about what he should be doing. He's like, I'm going to be without a job, and I don't want to have to dig or beg either one of those. And so he says, I'd better make preparation. And so he made a decision. And in verse 4, he says this. He says, I am resolved what to do. He's thought about it, and he says, now I know what it is I want to do. And in worldly wisdom, he made sure that he was prepared for that day, didn't he? He made him a lot of friends, cut a lot of deals. And his master even commended him for it. Hey, you did well in doing what you did. So apparently it must not have been too unethical. It must have worked out well. And so to, to bring that down to us, the Lord Jesus is telling us that there is a day of reckoning coming for all of us, is it not? And how we use the little that he blesses us in this life 
is going to e determine our eternal destiny. That's what this chapter is all about. And so we need to be like that man. We need to, as it says in verse 3, it says, He thought within himself, what shall I do? And that's what we need to do. We need to be thinkers, don't we? Musers. <laughs> because people that spend their life being amused by TV, Twitter, Facebook, amused means you don't think. Ah means without musing, without thinking. And we spend a lot of our time being amused. <laughs> but the Bible and the Lord Jesus, when you read the Bible, it challenges you to think, doesn't it? Unlike the newspaper. Unlike, you know, getting on the Internet. Because we have all through it commands and admonitions to take heed, to watch, to listen. What does it say in Psalm 1? Blessed is the man that meditates on the word. We're called to think. And when we do that, when we see what he's commanded, what he's warned us about, say in this chapter, then we need to make a decision, just like the man did. He said, I've thought about this. I see where I'm headed, and now I'm resolved what to do. I know what I'm going to do about it. And that's what God says to us. He says, look, you have these two paths before you to choose. He says that repeatedly throughout the Old and New Testament. And he tells them, choose you therefore this day whom you will serve. You've got to make a choice. Think about it, but then you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a choice. Because we're going to serve, as the old Bob Dylan song said, we're going to serve somebody. Because we're designed that way. But Jesus says, look what he told him in verse 13. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. But he says, you can't serve God and mammon. There's no in-between. And I think a lot of times we think we can take that in-between road. And he's saying, there is no in-between. It's going to be one or the other, God or mammon. And so the story we are looking at here with the rich man and Lazarus is the end. It just vividly illustrates the point that Jesus is trying to get through in this entire chapter. That's why he gives this illustration, to make the point, to underline what he's trying to say. Because these two men, they make a decision on where they're going to invest the treasures of their heart. They make a decision. And outwardly, outwardly, when you read this story, their decisions were not apparent, were they? Because a Jew of that day, I've talked about this before, he would have considered that rich man to be the one that was blessed, and he would have looked outwardly on Lazarus and said, he is the one that is cursed. But listen, one thing we see in this, can't we, if we don't see anything else, is, is the Lord concerned with outward appearance? He can't be, because outward appearance-wise, it's all totally reversed. He's not concerned with outward appearance, but men are. We are. That's just the way we are made. And so when God sent Samuel to anoint one of Jesse's sons to replace Saul, Samuel just knew he was going there, and he was having to trust that God was going to show him which one it was. He didn't know, did he? He just knew it was going to be one of them, and they started lining them up in front of him. And when he looked on Eliab, Samuel said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. That's what he thought. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. And he said this, the Lord seeth not as man sees.
For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on his heart. And we all tend to look on outward appearance. And that's what Jesus says, the same thing. Look what he says here in verse 15. And he sent it to them, to the Pharisees. He says, you are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So we read there, men were impressed with the Pharisees, but God wasn't impressed because he could see their hearts. And it says he didn't like what he saw. What did it say? They were an abomination. He's talking about their hearts. Detestable is what that word means. So outwardly, men wouldn't have looked at them. They didn't. They looked up to the Pharisees in that day. But God says, oh, no, I see the thoughts, the intents, and the motives of their heart. What you're hiding from men. And he says it's an abomination. It's detestable. So this parable is given as a warning to them and all that will follow in their footsteps down through the centuries. So the wicked may seem, as these men did, to prosper now, but we know, not just because they're rich, but because they're wicked, that there is a great reversal that's coming one day. There's going to be a lot of people surprised. You hear that? But it's true. There's going to be a lot of people surprised on that day of judgment. The great reversal. So we have to remember, though, that riches are not sinful in and of themselves, are they? And we know that from 1 Timothy 6. It's what we do with them. How we use them indicates what kind of tree you are, what kind of heart you have. Because 1 John says this, He that sees his brother with a need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? So we looked last time. And it wasn't necessarily a fun message to preach, but we looked at what happened to those that have covetous hearts. People that are just consumed with pleasure, as this man was when the great reversal happened. And it says what? We talked about James where he says, those that have showed no mercy, which he showed none, did he? None the Lazarus, they will receive no mercy in the next life. Not even the smallest mercy, not even a drop of water, let alone a cup couldn't even have a drop of water on the tip of his tongue. They'll be sent to a place where they are forgotten, a place of conscious torment, a place, though, they will remember things. They'll remember, he says, remember all the good things you had. And I'm sure there was a lot of other things he could remember, too, like we said. All the chances he had to repent, all the times he could have shown mercy and wished he had. There's just his whole life, his family, the love that had been shown him. It's all gone now, no mercy. And worst of all, the last thing we said is, the place is permanent. Knowing that, there's no getting out. The worst part of all. So what, what could that man have done to avoid hell? Could he have just given money away, just given more money away? I'm sure he gave some away. Most rich people give money away. They'll give to charities and let everybody know about it, but it's not like they don't give anything away. Should he have started a food bank? You know, he could have named it More Morsels, because he, he didn't give Abraham a morsel. It's a bad joke there. Or maybe he could have started a fund, the Nameless Rich Jewish Man Foundation. Would that have helped him out? Well, we know it wouldn't have. So what is it that you and I need to learn from this man? Because what he didn't do is, we'll see, the Word of God was filled with warnings and commandments to take care of the poor. 
I mean, if we went through all of those, there's over a dozen of them in the Old Testament that would have said, you need to look out for the poor, and here's what will happen if you didn't. He disregarded all of those, didn't listen to the warnings, didn't obey the commandments. So that's what we have to say. We have to ask ourselves, are we listening to God's warnings, taking his warnings seriously? So in September, this is a few years back. Some of these stories, you got to go a few years back. But this happened in 1938, and they had a hurricane, a monster hurricane hit the east coast of the United States. And this man studied all about it and wrote about it. His name was William Manchester. And he wrote about it in his book called The Glory and the Dream. And he said that this great wall of water hit right around Long Island, New York. And it hit so hard, it created, it was picked up on the seismic graph in Stika, Alaska. And the spray carried well over 100 miles an hour and hit in Montpelier, Vermont. So this torrential 40-foot wave approached. Some people managed to get away. And they don't know how many died that weren't able to get away, but the ones that got away said they had to be racing at least 50 miles an hour to stay ahead of that thing. They were all going at least 50 miles an hour. And this man wrote that for some reason, though, the meteorologists who should have known what was happening and should have warned the public, they seemed strangely blind. It's like they didn't know it was coming, didn't warn anybody. And so what they figured is they either ignored their instruments or simply couldn't believe them. And so listen, if the meteorologists aren't warning the public, the public is in the dark. They didn't know, and a lot of people died when that happened. And listen, that's what's happening today in a lot of churches, right? <laughs> Men of God, we have the instrument of God's word that tells us and warns us that disaster is coming, right? And they seem to ignore it. We're not going to believe what it says. And they don't warn their congregations of the disaster that's coming. And so instead, they preach a message, and it's what people like to hear of what? Peace and safety. And we talked about this one time, too. When they say peace and safety, what's next? Sudden destruction. And so listen, when the shepherds don't warn the sheep, what happens? They become a prey. So one of the interesting stories this man wrote about was, though, there was this Long Island man who had just recently bought a barometer. You know, a barometer will tell you <laughs> what kind of weather's coming. He just bought it a few days earlier in New York. And it arrived that morning that the hurricane came. <laughs> so he's looking at it, and he gets that thing out, and he's annoyed that that needle is reading 29. And it's in the place that reads hurricanes and tornadoes. And he, it's, he can't believe it. He's banging the thing, and he's looking at it, and nothing changes. And the needle wouldn't budge, so he gets aggravated, and he packs the thing up. And he goes and takes it back to the store. And while he was gone, literally, his house was blown away. That is no kidding. The house is blown away. And how many Christians have a barometer, like we said, a Bible? The warnings are clear. And a lot of times when we don't like what it say, we'll blame God, won't we? Just like that God did his barometer, and we'll say, well, no one can live it. No one can live what this Bible says. And we'll ignore it. And we won't do what it says, ignore the cloyer warnings. So what I want to say is, sometimes people are stupid. 
and they ignore warnings. It happens all the time in our everyday life. But there's a price to be paid. How many times in the news, this just happened like a year ago, and it happens constantly, because there was such a high value on copper, these guys will go where it, they, they need their drugs this bad. They'll go where there are warnings all over the place, high voltage danger. And they go in there anyways and steal copper and end up electrocuted. Happens all the time, like it was really worth it. <laughs> and people still will ignore warnings on cigarette packages, especially in Kentucky. It's a big smoking state. And they'll tell you wear a helmet, long pants, and gloves, and boots when you ride. And a lot of people just choose to ignore it. And they don't have a lot of skin when they're done riding sometimes, right? What about the Titanic? You say, well, what about the Titanic? We're talking about ignoring warnings. They had seven warnings of heavy ice and they ignored every one of them. It wasn't like the Titanic wasn't warmed. They ignored every one of them and steamed full ahead. So there was a ship that two miles away had stopped because of the ice, and they telegraphed the Titanic because they were knew that they were close to them, because they were so close. And the message was coming really loud in the telegraph operator's ear. And finally, he tells them back, he gets back to him, and he says, shut up, shut up, I'm working Cape Race. They're trying to warn him, and he's hearing it in his ear, and he wants them to stop. He says, would you just shut up telling him I'm working Cape Race? Well, you're like, what is Cape Race? Cape Race was a town off some coast. They were trying to get messages to all these rich people. And he's telling them, shut up. I'm trying to get these messages for these rich people. And they're trying to warn So the telegraph operator that was trying to warn him, he got frustrated, and he's like, man, if that's the way you're going to be, okay. And he turned off his telegraph and went to sleep went to bed, and we all know the end result. It wasn't good. So, so many times God is trying to speak to us, isn't he? And we're so busy with our lives, living in this world, that we ignore him and take what he says lightly, and sometimes we'll even tell him to shut up if we don't like what he's saying. And that was the problem with this rich man. In this parable we're reading, this story, he was busy partying, busy drinking, busy eating, busy enjoying himself, and he probably went to the synagogue about half awake or half asleep. And when the scriptures were read on the Sabbath, he never gave heed to what he heard. Never took a second thought of it. He probably thought, man, with all these blessings I have, surely God is on my side. But guess what? Like the Titanic, he made a huge mistake. We've just read it. We've talked about it. So what we're going to see tonight in the part, the ending part here, we want to look at, look at Luke 16 is... How we hear the word of God is going to determine our eternal destiny. And so first of all, I want to talk about then, because of that, we shouldn't wish for a better way. And the second thing I want to look at is we need to be persuaded by his word. So like I said, the first thing I want to look at is we shouldn't wish for a better way. And look down in verses 27 to 30. The rich man prays to Abraham. He said, then I said, I pray thee, therefore, father that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, O nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And so what is this rich man arguing, if we listen to what he's saying? He's saying that a miracle, someone coming from the dead, will speak louder and clearer than God's word will. That's what he's arguing here. 
And a lot of us, a lot of people think that if only they could hear God audibly speak to them, see Jesus for themselves, see a miracle, then they would know that everything's true and I'm willing to buy into the program, right? A miracle, they think, and sometimes we think, would give us the faith to move mountains. But we got to get back to the basics of what we heard way back when. How does faith come? How does faith come? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, period. That is how faith comes. I would add to that, I'm not adding to that necessarily, but I say faith also comes by knowing the God who gave us his word, knowing that he is faithful and trustworthy and not a man that he could lie. We have to know the God behind that word too. But faith comes by knowing the word of God and knowing that it's a word from God. Because here's the problem. Miracles can lie, and they will lie. And I'm saying we're in the end times. And it says if it was possible, the elect would be deceived. And what is going to keep the elect from being deceived? It's going to be knowing the word of God. 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about the Antichrist. It says even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. He is going to be performing unbelievable acts and miracles. And if that's what you have your heart set on, you'll get sucked right into it. We've got to know the word. I'm saying I've got a concern about that, how much people really know the word and how much they give themselves over to extracurricular things they read and say. Because in prison and even here, I have too many people coming up. What do you think about this, that, or the other? And I'm thinking, after so many years, we should know better than that. And why don't we? Things have slipped from people's hands. Knowledge of truth that should keep them from error has slipped from people. Because they haven't given attention to the word. Now, we can get that back, can't we? We can. But we've got to spend time in the word. Miracles can lie because multitudes are going to put their faith in the Antichrist. And he's lying. They're lying signs and wonders. And what are they lying about? They're lying that this man who comes on the scene says he is God. He's going to be sitting in the temple as God. And that he can continue as God, continue to perform these miracles, and that he's pointing to truth. And it's a lie. So listen, a man could lie or be deceived. So let me ask you, what if your dead grandmother came to you from the dead? Somebody you really love, and she's just a godly old woman. And she says, you know, I've been there, and I'm going to tell you, there is no hell. Would you believe her? Would you believe what she said? What if she died on the operating table and came back? Is it possible whatever she saw there, she could be deceived? Is it possible? Is it possible the devil could have given her a false experience? What about UFOs? People go on these UFOs and claim, I mean, they are totally convinced. Is it not possible the devil could deceive these people and make these creatures appear that they think they're seeing and telling them all these truths? And here's what they contradict, all a lot of this stuff. It contradicts what the Bible says. So I'm saying you have a, a death experience and you come back and this person's saying something and it contradicts what this says, that's out. I don't care how great it sounds. We need to know better than that. My grandmother, when I wasn't even a Christian, but this is kind of bizarre to me at the time, 
She was telling me after her, her it, was, it wasn't my grandfather, it was, she married him later, my step-grandfather, whatever, but he passed away. And as far as I know, he was never a, a Christian man, a saved man. He went to church, but he wasn't a Christian man. I'd had no hope for him. And she told me, oh, I was laying there, and I looked over, and there he was laying on the couch. Just looked as peaceful as could be, and he smiled at me. And she said, oh, that just comforted me to know that he's smiling, and I'll be there someday myself. Now I'm thinking, that's not good, because I don't think he was smiling, not really. But that's what the devil will do, right? And that's what I think's happening. We've got all these books coming out now, just tons of them, a plethora of them, of these people, little kids and other people that have died and come back, and they're going to tell us all these things about heaven and hell. I'm going to tell you, everything we need to know, God has given us here. We don't need all this other confirmation about things. He's not left us short on what we need to know about heaven or hell. Because miracles do not give faith. They can confirm the word, and they will confirm the word, but they do not produce faith. Because I'm going to tell you, if you think it does, you can go home and get on YouTube, and you can watch miracles actually be performed that are legitimate, I believe. So you can watch old A.A. Allen videos or TV shows, or Jack Coe, and you can see legs. You can sit there and watch a leg grow out. And they're growing out. You can see things happening. So not everything about those ministries ended up being legitimate in the long run, but they had miracles happen, and they were televised on TV. And people have seen them, and they still struggle with faith, because that's not how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing the Word. If you would, put something there and turn over to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, beginning in verse 9, it says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. And they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. And they forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea, caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as of out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for lust. And they spake against God. So despite all of these things they've seen, they say, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Well, behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. But can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? And therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came out against Israel. Because why? They believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow into heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. So they did eat and were filled, for he gave them their own desire." They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. And for all this, 
they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. So if faith comes by seeing miracles, what was Israel's problem? I mean, they had saw miracles like no one had ever seen. Wondrous things they said, and yet it said they still believed not. Why would that have been a problem for them? Why are they having trouble saying, can God? Because faith doesn't come by seeing miracles. Will you also, if you would turn over to John 12, please. So the point we're trying to make is, faith doesn't come by miracles. It comes by the word. So look in John 12, look in verse 37. Look what it says here. But though he, Jesus, had done so many miracles before them, and look what it says, yet... They believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because that Isaiah has said again, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. And these things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Performed so many miracles, it says. They watched them. They saw it happen, and yet they still didn't believe. So right there, it's telling us miracles do not produce faith, do they? So what is it that gives man the ability to understand and believe God's word? A miracle, obviously, we just saw that that's not the case. It's the spirit of God in combination with his word in a man's heart. That is how faith comes and understanding and the ability to believe. It's not just seeing the word. Faith is a spiritual thing. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And it comes from spending time with God. It's not just an intellectual thing. It's not just I can read that promise. I mean, anybody can read a promise by Jesus stripes I was healed and, and in a sense understand it. But that's not the same as being able to believe it and to put your trust in it. That kind of faith is supernatural. It's a supernatural kind of faith. In Acts 16, we read, A certain woman named Lydia, which worshipped God, heard us. So she heard Paul preaching, Paul and Luke. She heard him preaching. But it goes on to say, Whose heart the Lord opened. God had to open her heart that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. So God has to open our hearts to understand his word, to understand it to the, in the sense that we can truly trust it. We're dependent on him for everything. And haven't you sensed, we talked about this a few months back, haven't you ever sensed when God, when you're reading that word, he's opening it up to you and it witnesses with you. Man, I know that that's what that says is true. There's this understanding that comes, this faith that comes that God is producing as you're spending time with him, spending time looking at that word. And that's something we should cherish. And I know that it's happened to all of us in here. So what was Abraham's answer to that rich man back in Luke 16? What was his answer? Verse 31, he said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, if they don't hear that word, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So what persuades a man's heart? It's that faith that comes from hearing Moses and the prophet, the word of God. A hearing heart is given by the Holy Spirit, I would say. So that's why we have those men. We talked about this too a few months back. They're walking on that road to Emmaus. So he's saying if they hear not Moses and the prophets, if you go back and read that account in Luke 
on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus started talking to them, you know what he did? It says, beginning at Moses and the prophets. The very thing it says right here in Luke 16. That's what he said to these two men he's walking with. Beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded, he opened up, he revealed the meaning of those scriptures, the Lord Jesus Christ, expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So he began also, like I said, where Abraham told the rich man his brothers should begin, with Moses and the prophets, with the word of God. And guess what? It was after he gave the word of God to them when they were eating then the Lord Jesus Christ revealed himself as the risen Lord. But what did he give him first? He didn't do that first. Why not? Wouldn't that have made it easier for him to believe the word? No, he gave him the word that pointed to him. The word is what they could trust. And I'm saying, that's what we can trust. We can't trust miracles. We can't trust signs and wonders. Can we? That's not where our faith needs to be. It needs to be first and foremost in the Word. And miracles come to confirm that. We'll all be rejoicing, right? That's what it talks about in Mark 16, right? Confirmed the Word with signs following. It doesn't say signs were confirmed. The Word was confirmed by those signs. And that's what Jesus did. He gives them the Word and confirms it. Well, here I am, the risen Lord. See me now? But it's interesting. He didn't do that first. Because seeing Jesus raised from the dead, they needed to understand those scriptures, didn't they? That was the big thing. The word keeps us from being deceived. Because Paul said, if an angel appears to you, and he brings another gospel, he says something that contradicts what? This is an angel. And he says something that contradicts the Bible. What does he say? I don't care how glorious that angel and how he made you feel, and you were in awe in his presence, he says something against that word. What does Paul say? Let him be accursed, an angel. Oh, man, angel. I've never had an angel appear to me. And that takes some spiritual insight, wouldn't it? That would take a person that knows this Bible to have an angel speak to you, some vision come of an angel, and you're going to say, wait a minute here. What you're telling me, that's not quite right. This word you're speaking in my ear, it doesn't line up with what I've heard and what I understand the Lord's shown me. And that's what we're supposed to do, right? And we've got to know the word to be able to do that. That's where our safety lies. Understanding the scripture, paying attention. And that's what this guy didn't do. And that's what his brothers didn't do. They didn't give heed to the word that was being spoken. That truth didn't mean that much to them. The party life did. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's what really meant to them. Oh, they went to the synagogue, but they didn't really pay attention. They couldn't wait to get out of the synagogue to have another party. They probably partied on the Sabbath, I would guess. David prayed this. Open thou mine eyes. Brother Hamilton would quote this scripture a lot. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That's what we need to pray. Not for signs and wonders. Jesus has nothing but rebukes for people that are seeking signs and wonders. But that's what we should pray. God, open my eyes that I can behold wondrous things from thy law, that I can be kept from error, that I can be kept from the deception, the end time deception that's coming along. And one after another comes along. All these people that have a word from the Lord. And some of these men, I was just talking to somebody. There's, there's a guy that's been going on for years now trying to resurrect John G. Lake's ministry out west. 
And when you hear the origins of that, which some people years ago gave me the tape of that, the guy went and laid on his grave. John G. Lake's grave prayed for the spirit of John G. Lake to come in him. Then he visited these Indians to get some power from them. And yet he's over there proclaiming a Christian message and saying that healing and miracles, just like John G. Lake. Well, yeah, I like to read John G. Lake books and things that took place. But he's saying we've resurrected that. We have things happening now. Healing's taking place and people are flocking to that stuff. And I had these people give me these tapes. They wanted to know my opinion about it. And with that came faith message tapes. And I listened to those. Well, all it was, the guy basically plagiarized F.F. Bosworth, Christ the Healer. There was nothing wrong with his faith teaching per se. But when I heard the origins of all that, to me, it didn't matter what else he said. And so they had somebody dying of cancer. This man's mother wanted to take her, fly her out to where this guy was in California and have her prayed for, and they wanted to know my opinion. And I tried to say it nice as I could. I said, I'm just going to tell you, I wouldn't have that guy lay hands on me in a million years. And I tried to explain to them why they got mad at me. I'm like, fine, do what you want to do. But I'm saying that's where I was so grateful for the teaching we had. I don't want some guys getting his power from occult sources laying hands on me. I don't care how many verses he quotes. <laughs> Pick up some really bad spirits that way. So we're back in Luke 16. I hope we're there. And the second thing we want to say is how we hear the word of God. It'll determine our eternal destiny. Therefore, we need to, and we've been saying this, per be persuaded by his word. And that's what the rich man told him to do, didn't he? They have Moses and the prophets, he told them. Your brothers, let them hear him, hear Moses and the prophets. And if they won't hear them and they won't be persuaded that way, if Moses and the prophets aren't persuasion enough, neither, he said, they won't repent. They won't turn from their sins because they see somebody raised from the dead and even warn them of this terrible place to come. He said, no, all they need is the word of God to be persuaded. That is all we need to be persuaded. How often would those people have heard Moses and the prophets? They had plenty of chances to be persuaded. Because look, in Acts 15, it says this, Moses of old time in every city, them that preach him has in every city, them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Every Sabbath day, they could have gone there and heard the word. And we got two times a week here we come and hear the word, don't we? Two times. So God used the reading and explaining of the scriptures, Moses and the prophets. That's what God uses, the word of God, to persuade us, to trust him, to warn us, to live holy lives. That's his method. That's his way. That's God's ways, isn't it? So persuade means to cause to do something through a reasoning or an argument. And you can go through Acts, there's several times where it said Paul would go in the synagogues and reason from the scriptures, trying to persuade men. I believe it's Acts 28. Actually, let's just go there and look quickly. This is at the end of Acts. Acts 28, 23, and it says, and when they had appointed him a certain day, they wanted to hear from Paul. The Jews did. They're like, yeah, we, we hear this message. We hear about this Christianity and it's being spoken against, and, but we don't know anything about you. And it says so in verse 23, when they had appointed him a day, Paul, there came many to him unto his lodging to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. What does it say? Persuading them concerning Jesus. And how did he do it? 
both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning until evening. But look at their reaction. The apostle Paul, I mean, man, you think I don't have an anointing? This guy didn't have an anointing. Well, I'll guarantee you he did. He had an anointing to go hear him preach. And look, but you would think, how could you not believe? But look in verse 24. He's preaching to him, Moses and the prophets. And what does it say? Some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. <laughs> how does that work? How do you hear the word of God and it affects you to the point you repent of your sins and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and your best friend that heard the same word, it doesn't move them. Doesn't affect them. Why is that? Matthew 11, Jesus said that at this time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And you know what that tells us there? Election is in hearing. The elect can hear, and the non-elect can't. And so that's why if God speaks to us, speaks to your heart, oh, we need to treasure that. We need to respond with fear and trembling that God is speaking. I can hear him because multitudes can't. They can't hear his voice. So look at Matthew 13. I'm saying election. Those who are called by God, it's in our hearing, in being persuaded. Matthew 13, beginning of verse 11. And disciples came and said unto Jesus, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever has, to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. And that's us. Amen? Amen. Amen. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even that he has. Therefore, I speak unto them in parables, because they seen, see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive, for this people's heart is waxed gross. Their eyes are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But praise God, look at verse 16. This is us. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly, Jesus says, I say unto you, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and haven't seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. I mean, praise God, we've heard truth that they would have loved to have heard. We've heard truth that they call the 1040 window. There's multitudes on this earth that hear no gospel, none. They're in these almost absolute, totally Muslim countries, and they hear no verse, no scripture. It's banned. There's no missionaries can get in some of these places. What a privilege we have. 
I mean, really, we really do. I mean, praise God. Have you ever asked yourself, why have I been born at this time and in this place? Why has God drawn me into this church? I mean, praise God, we should be so thankful for what he's given us in his word and hearing our ears. And if you're having trouble understanding, listen, this is the time to pray. God will give you ears to hear, and he'll open your eyes to help you to understand. And so you're struggling with things. You're struggling with wondering. You have questions. Why isn't God moving? Why aren't I experiencing healing? Here's your answers are in here. Seek the Lord. He'll give you the answers to everything we need to know. And he'll manifest his presence. But praise God, our ears have heard. We've got the faith message. We've had a lot of the things tied together. So there's a lot of things other churches practice that we don't. It's not like we have every, all the truth. But we have a lot of blessed truth. Uh, most places don't know how to be delivered from the occult practices in this world. They don't even, don't even consider evil spirits that would come in. And that you can go through deliverance and find freedom in that way. <laughs> they don't see that you can be delivered from spirits of lust and taken out of that control of the enemy. Instead, they'll tell people, well, you, that's just something you're going to have to live with and try to overcome as best you can. But we've heard the truth about that. We don't have to live with our sin. Praise the Lord. He's just really blessed us with truth. And seven times in the book of Revelations of that churches, Jesus said to them, he that has ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. So like I said, we need to cherish that. We really do. This is the last verse we're going to turn to you tonight. If you would turn to Zechariah, because here we're talking about a warning. Here is a warning for us, for anyone that doesn't want to heed the word of God. Zechariah chapter 7. Right before the last book of the Old Testament. Look what the prophet says. Should you not hear the words which the Lord has cried by the former prophets? When Jerusalem was inhabited in prosperity, all he cried to them. He pleaded with them, the Lord did. And it says, in the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain. And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment. Show mercy and compassions every man to his brother. Oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. But what happened? This was the rich man. This was the Jewish people in Jerusalem. They refused to hearken, verse 11, and pulled away the shoulder. They're like a little child. You're not going to tell me what to do, Daddy. Pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it has come to pass that as he cried and they would not hear, so they cried and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, that no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. That's what happened to the rich man. He didn't give heed. I mean, it's all through there about oppressing the poor, about not helping the needy. And he says, if you don't do that, if you don't give heed, if you don't execute justice and judgment, you're not fair with people, you don't do unto others as you would have them do unto you, it's a warning to us, isn't it? 
So let me ask, are we persuaded by his word? Persuaded means to cause something to do because how terrible would it be to hear the word of God, know it was true, but because of a fear of man or an unwillingness to give up a sin or just wanting to live with doubt, whatever, whatever the case, you weren't persuaded to act. You knew it was true and all that, and that happened to a king. Paul spoke to King Agrippa and the governor Felix, and he told them how Moses and the prophets, keep coming back to that. You read the account, that's what he talked about. Moses and the prophets to King Agrippa, that they had showed that Christ should suffer, and it should be he should be the first to rise from the dead and should so light unto the people and the Gentiles. And Felix, here in Paul in his testimony, he says, Felix, or he said, Paul, you're a crazy man. You're mad. And Paul says, oh, no, I'm not mad. I'm speaking to you words of truth, is what he told him. And he turned to King Agrippa, who was of Jewish descent, and he said this to him, for the king knows of these things before whom, as I speak freely, also I speak freely. He says, for I'm persuaded, Paul said, I'm persuaded about something about you, King Agrippa. I'm persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner, King Agrippa. Believest thou the prophets? He said, I know you believe the prophets. He said, I'm persuaded that he could sense that King Agrippa knew what he was saying was the truth. That it was from the prophets and King Agrippa believed the prophets. Paul was persuaded to that. Was that enough? Because it went on to say that King Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And George Whitfield has a great sermon on almost persuaded. Because, listen, being almost persuaded is no better than being not persuaded at all. You can't be almost a Christian. And Paul's like, oh, I just wish you were just like me except for these chains I'm in. You and everyone that hears me, fully persuaded. So are we fully persuaded that the promises of God are true, or do we have reservations about them? And I'm almost there. I'm almost ready to, to throw in the lot with God's promises and what he says. If only something would happen. And that's what the rich man said. The brothers, they just need to see something happen, and then they can believe. Oh, no, it's got to be the word. The word is what will persuade you. Because what did Abraham, the father of the faith, what did he have? Nobody had ever heard of an old man having a baby that old. It wasn't like he had something to fall back on. And all he had was a word. God said, I have made thee a father of nations, of many nations. That's all he had. Romans 4. And it went on to say in Romans 4 that who against hope, he believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And it says, in being not weak in faith, Abraham considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not. He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And we're talking about being persuaded. And it says he was being fully persuaded and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised he was persuaded that he was able to perform what he promised. So he had the word, but he also had the God behind that word. Fully persuaded of both. 
that what God said he would do, he would do. Abraham knew the Lord, knew that he was able to promise what he had performed. And that's what it takes. You have to be persuaded of the promises. And we also need to be persuaded of the warnings, don't we? They're both just as true. Have to see, don't we, that the Almighty God who's made his promises in his word is capable of performing them in our lives. That's what we need to believe. That's what we need to see. And Paul said, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of my bonds, for I know whom I have believed. Paul took time to know him, and he said, And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Are you persuaded that God is able to do what he's promised you to do? Or are you persuaded that if you don't give heed to his word, God's able to judge you? Because we need to be persuaded of both. <laughs> the promises and the judgments of God. Because Noah was persuaded of a judgment that was promised. That's what he was promised. Judgment's coming on this earth. And what? Because he believed that, what did it say he did? He obeyed. Six times, I believe it is, in Genesis 6, it talks about Noah was obedient because he believed God's word. He believed that thing of judgment. By faith, Hebrews says, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. He believed. It says he moved with fear. Nothing wrong with that. Knowing that if I don't do this, God's judgment will come on me. Noah says, ah, I'm moved with fear. And what did he do? It says he prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world. He was moved with fear. Faith moved by fear. And we could say, are you persuaded that if you lust after woman, you'll end up in hell? That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You persuaded about that? Because if you are, that should cause you to move with fear and obey. And to be like Job, what did Job say? I made a covenant with my eyes that I won't behold a maid. So if we truly believe what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, that's what you'll do. But if you're not sure, you're not really sure he's going to judge you because it doesn't seem like he will, guess what? You'll go on in lust. But that's a promise that he made in Matthew chapter 5. So do we think we're smarter than God? Do we really? I mean, I know we would all say no, but do we wish for a better way than God's word of promises and his warnings. Because someone would say, man, if I was God, I wouldn't just put it all in a book written by men. I'd have an angel shout at the top of his lungs and let everybody know what's coming. That's what someone would say. And you know what? That actually happens. In Revelation 14, it talks about an angel comes and with a loud voice proclaims, it says, the everlasting gospel to everyone that dwells on the earth. Now, if you want to wait for the tribulation to hear it from the voice of an angel, the gospel, you can be my guest. <laughs> it's sure to happen. But here, God has created us this way to have faith in his promises, and it is the best way. Faith in his word, faith in his promises. Jesus lived that way, didn't he? How did he overcome sin and temptation in the wilderness? By the word, by promises that he quoted. And he died the same way. When he's on the cross, he quoted scriptures on the cross. Read Psalm 22. He had to trust that God would be true to his word. He had to trust that he wasn't going to leave his soul in hell, in Sheol, in the grave. 
That's where the Lord was at. He had to trust that word and quote that word. And are we better than him? So I would just say, let's let the word persuade us, right? It's the word of God. So do we hear God's word with the respect that's due him? Do we take his warnings seriously and do we fear him? Because Noah did, like I said, and he heard God's word and took it seriously and became a doer. Moved with fear, heard the warning, and only eight people did with him. So to finish up, the Lord is telling us here in this parable, the consequences of hearing and not obeying are what? It's an eternal hell. I mean, that's what the point of this parable is. Oh, I wish I'd taken that word seriously. We don't want to say, he warned me, but now it's too late. Not even a drop of water. That's what that man was saying. And is that how we want to spend eternity? Remembering what we should have done. So let me just say, what we need to do is ask God for the grace to give us hearts that want to hear and obey and then act on our prayer. Act on what we say. Let's obey what we read. Trust him to give us that grace to crucify our flesh, to turn the other cheek, to stop worrying, to cease from anger, to crucify pride and to love others and to trust him to be all that he claims that he wants to be for us. So let's just close with this verse here. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us have grace. We've got a kingdom promised to us that's already given to us, that's waiting for us. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So let's let our prayer be, God, grant us the grace to serve you acceptably and to be accepted on that day. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the word that you've given us, this word that is so precious and for enabling us to have your Holy Spirit to help open our understanding that we can see wondrous things out of your law and out of your word, Lord, that we can understand the power and the privilege of speaking in tongues, that we can edify ourselves, build ourselves up in your most holy faith, Lord. We can know we can trust you for healing and to be with us and to protect us and to deliver us from evil spirits, Lord, and to give us power over all the power of the enemy. We just thank you, Lord, for that revelation of your word that you've given us, that we know what we can trust you for. And I just ask, Father, that for all of us here, you'll just make this word more precious, more precious in these days coming, that we'll study it, meditate on it, that you'll open our hearts and our understanding to us to keep us from error, from the error that's coming. And we just ask that you'll speak to us more and more and reveal truth to us and remind us of the truths that we've let go, Lord, that we can stand strong in these last days, these evil days that are coming, Lord, these perilous times. I just thank you that you'll do that for us here in this little church, that you'll look down on us and just continue to bless us with your word. And we just do that in Jesus' name. Amen.